Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the Sunday Mailbag Edition. Normally the episode I'm excited about, but if you listen to Friday, well, let's just say you'll know why I'm not maybe as excited as normal. It may probably definitely involve Andrew ranting about something that I just, you know. Anyway, we will get back to that. <laughs> Speaking of is which, that why, is that why, is, is that why you didn't call it a very special episode? Because normally that's the lead-in and you, you left that. I, I noticed that that oh, was noticeably look, absent. You know. There are some things I want to do and some things I have to do. This one is somewhere in between the two. <laughs> I'm very no, good though, mate. I'm very good. I'm, I'm, unlike you, I am super pumped about this episode. So let's let's get oh, into it. I'm God. Oh, let's right. go. If we have to. Listeners, This can I say, this is Patrick's fault. All right, before we get to Patrick's question though, uh, as I said, if you did listen on Friday, you know exactly what this is about. If you didn't listen on Friday, well, shame on you and you're going to have to wait and find out. Let's, uh, let's start with a different question though, mate. And mm-hmm. this question comes from Josh. He says, hey, Scott, thanks for taking my previous question. You're welcome. And I'm loving having Rampage on the pod. It's hey. a very apt nickname, he says, for a fellow so predisposed to letting loose on a rant as he. And he's got the <laughs> smiling, crying emoji face, which I, I quite liked. I have another question, says Josh. Surely much more straightforward and simple. It concerns a Motley full recommendation, so I'll leave it to you to decide whether you name the company or otherwise. And we will, because it's a good question and we don't mind. Look, you know, we don't love uh, giving away member content a lot, but um, but it's, you know, it's, this, is not, this is not a particularly sensitive one. I'm a shareholder, says Josh, in Australian Ethical. AEF is the code on the ASX. Very happily, I might add. The shares have gone up, so that's probably why he's happy. But I'm really struggling to get my head around the valuation. The PE is extraordinary for what is essentially a fund manager. Can you and Rampage explain to me why this is justified and what I'm missing? I understand that fast-growing companies aren't appropriately valued on traditional measures, but this... Yeah, but is this really a company that should be valued like a global software business? I'm putting up my proverbial straw man for Rampage to take a run at. <laughs> Full on from Josh. So there we go, mate. That's a good question from Josh. Now, Australian Ethical, I said AEF is the stock code on the ASX. I'm pulling it up right now to give you a... We do things live. Well, live-ish. This is Thursday morning, but, you know, it's live enough. Uh, and, mate, according to ComSec, just to pull the ComSec numbers up, the P is 140.99... Let's call it 141 times among friends. We mentioned Westpac on Friday, which is just completely coincidentally, almost exactly only one-tenth of the PE of Australian Ethical. Very different businesses, of course, but just to give some context, 141 is an extraordinary PE. Um, average market, probably 14 to 16. Right now, the ASX must be close to 18-ish, I suppose. I haven't seen numbers recently, but something like that by any measure, by any comparative measure. This one's expensive. I often wonder sometimes, as a quick aside, mate, whether it's actually better or worse to have a PE when you're this expensive. Sometimes you've got no PE at all. People don't worry about it. You can have, if you're making your loss, no one cares. You don't have a PE. When you make a little bit of money and your PE is 140 or uh, 480 or 1,000, people start to laugh and say, how is that possible? Mm. Australian Ethical is probably somewhere in between. Do you, do you know the company? Do you follow the company at all? I, I don't know. I mean, I know the company, but I, I don't know it well, and I've, I certainly haven't attempted a valuation on it. Um, but that sounds high for what a fund manager, right? But but it's a wreck of yours, and I think you hold it personally. So I'm, I'm going to let you do that, do the heavy heavy lifting on this one, and then and then with some of the comments that you make, that'll give me a bit of stuff to <laughs> to wax to, to, to rant on, as Josh says. <laughs> Mate, you, you know what I like doing the heavy lifting. That's why I have you on the show for to do the actual thinking, so I can just uh, normally run over the top of that. But you've reversed the roles beautifully, so I guess I will. Given given the choke. look, here's the thing about Australian ethical: it is expensive, right? It is absolutely expensive. I don't know that it's just a fund manager, Josh, and this is where my view is a little bit different to others. Uh, now, I should say, I don't necessarily... Well, I own the shares. It's a buy recommendation of ours. We expect it will beat the market from here, so that's those things are all absolutely true. I'm not saying it won't fall from here or can't fall from here because any business share price is volatile. If you only look at Woolley to see how volatile that is, that's halved and doubled a number of times over its life and that's a bloody, you know, <laughs> a stable, steady, boring grocer. When you get anything else, the share price can be super volatile. Here's the, here's the bull case if you, if you want to look for it. There's a couple of things happening. The first is I think fund managers have really, really, really attractive economics and I'll explain why in a second. 
The second part is I think Australian Ethical has even better and more attractive economics and has a greater probability, I think, of attracting above average fund flows. And that in a nutshell, those two combined are why I think it's a buy. So let me let me break those up. The mm-hmm. first one I would say is the so the economics. Think about this, right? This is a business that and this is an Australian fund manager. So it's true kind of of all fund managers, but there's even more probability in Australia. Here's the thing. We are throwing more money at superannuation than ever. Not only has the percentage just increased in the last few months, but the number of Australians putting money into super and the fact that in superannuation in general is in accumulation rather than even stability, let alone drawdown right now. In other words, people who are retiring didn't retire with a full career's worth of super. And when they did, they started super at 3% and 6%, 9%. All of a sudden now everyone's putting in 10%. And it's not being drawn down yet because most people who've added super haven't retired. So you've got this nice flow of money into super right now. So the, the amount of cash going in is, is going up. That's, that's important. Second thing is the market tends to go up over time. Now, if you're a fund manager and you charge a percentage of the assets you manage and the value of those assets goes up over time, you've literally created for yourself or, or got yourself involved in an industry where your, your base inventory, if you like, in this case, just goes up regularly, not, not, st- not in a stable way, but regularly and over time. So if the market doubles every seven or so years, then so does your funds under management. If you charge the same percentage of that, then almost by definition, your, your revenue goes up on the same fee. And that is one of the downsides we'll get to in a second. But if the fees don't change, you're effectively increasing your fees. You're doubling your fees every, every seven years. And so mm. that's true. So you've got greater super, you've got greater funds under management. So there's those two things happening at the same time. That's on the, that's on the top line level. And this is general funds, by the way. I'll get to Australian Ethical in a second. On the, on the profit line, if you've got a fund manager and a chief investment officer and a compliance manager and a responsible entity and a whole lot of things that fund managers need, those costs are largely, not entirely, but largely fixed. So you've got a situation where if you double the funds under management, as I said, you might get to make twice as much money in revenue, but you don't necessarily double the size of your investment team. You don't double the size of your marketing team. You don't double the size of your administration team. And so you should have, by, by rights, margins that increase faster or profit that increases faster than revenues. So again, growing market, more funds means growing revenues. Your costs, in theory, grow slower than your revenues, so your profit should grow even faster than that. And that's just that's just standing still. That's that's total industry. That's not even company-specific stuff, right? So you're in an industry that's already really, really attractive, both in its economics in terms of the revenues and economics in terms of its leverage, its operating leverage. Then we move to Australian Ethical. By the way, Ram, I'll get you jumping all this at the end, but I'll, just, I'll go mm-hmm. through my thesis so you can come to it after that. Australian yep. Ethical has two things going for it which are really, really important. The first is, and they're kind of related, the first is it's an ethical fund manager. Now, if you only get to look around to see how much money, how much time attention is being paid to ethical funds. Now, I've ranted about my view on that, but I'm also a shareholder because as I said before, I don't think my view is going to change anybody else's opinion or at least not enough people. So you've got people all over the place saying, I want to invest, air quotes, ethically. Australian Ethical does a wonderful job of being active, particularly on social media, but pretty much across the board. If you're looking for an ethical fund, you're going to find Australian Ethical. Doesn't mean all your money is going to go there or any of your money is going to go there. There are plenty of other options as well. And that's, again, one of the risks. But for now, plenty of people are throwing more money at that. So you've got, again, more money coming in. You've got uh, an attractive industry. And you've got people more likely than not to invest in ethical funds. So again, add another compounding growth factor to that one. So there's that. On top of that uh, element for Australian Ethical, they charge more for retail investors than institutions. So if I, if they are able to do a really good job of attracting people like you and me, rather than the big fund man, or big uh, institutions that, that you know farm out their fund mandates, you, a big institution, by the way, probably only pays about half the price you do or I do for, for investing. So you get retail money, which is really profitable. And lastly, for Australian Ethical, that money's likely to be really, really sticky, right? If you're investing in, you know, uh, I'd use your uh, your, your made-up name from, from Friday, Ram. If you're investing in Ratchet, Ratchet and Bingo Fund Management and they have a bad year, you're probably going to look around and say, maybe I should be in BT or maybe I should be in Pendle or maybe I should be in Colonial. Or maybe I should be in IOOF or maybe I should move my money around. If you are investing ethically, you're probably making the cost of that the third, fourth or fifth priority in terms of choosing a fund. And you're probably less likely to change too quickly because you feel like you're in there for more than just the money. And so that makes those customers much likely to be much stickier. So wrap all that together. And that's why I expect that over time, their fund flow, sorry, the last one really quickly is they're small. And you like small companies, Ram. I I like them Mm. not as much as you, but I like them too. And if you're small and getting a few dollars in, the dollars you get in 
proportionally, in a percentage terms, add much more percentage-wise to the growth. So, mm. you know, if you're if you're already Magellan and you get, you know, a million dollars, you might never notice it. If you're if you're Australian ethical and you get a million dollars, you're much more likely to notice it's much more likely percentage-wise to mm. have an impact on your business. And so they're growing from a small business to a less small business. They're not big yet, of course, but they're still reasonably small but growing. And so each dollar they get has a proportionally larger impact on their business than the average fund manager who tend to be much bigger. So that's the plus side. On the risk side, a couple of quick things. First is fees could and probably will contract over time because this space is getting more competitive. And so that will be a problem for them if or when. They've already cut fees, by the way, last year, I think, or maybe even this year. Um, and that'll probably happen again. So they're, they're, just, they just are. quickly, go on. And just quickly on that, it's 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 also there's that phenomenon of the rise and further rise of ETFs as well, which are being seen as a very viable alternative as well. Right. And there, there are so so yeah, that that sort of factors into why there, there's fee pressure. That's true. That's true. And and then the the actual the actual fund flow on the other side for those ETFs and other ethical funds. So you can invest in ethical ETFs. You can invest in everyone's got an ethical fund these days. And so the competition for dollars for funds under management is getting hotter. And Australian Ethical's got to fight that fight as well. So both those things happening: the the fee reduction and the greater competition in their particular niche will potentially they are the risks for the investment case. Now, at 140 times earnings, you're absolutely right that it's something that you should be mindful of. I think is there the, is there and I'm asking this because I, as I yeah, said um, last episode I am I am without internet at the moment so I'm I'm, a bit, <laughs> I'm fighting with one hand behind my back but are there sometimes when you see these really high numbers there might be like an adjustment to the statutory results like a non-cash or something where it just sort of makes the EPS the earnings the denominator figure much lower and, and accelerates that maybe on a normalized basis it's like uh, I'm guessing here is there anything like that going on or is this is this 140 PE or whatever you said, 114 PE based on actual real earnings. Oh, yeah. No, it's actual real earnings. There is, there is wow. nothing funny going on here. Now, here's the okay. thing about earnings, though. Ten years ago, eight years ago, 2013, they earned one cent a share. Uh, three years ago, they earned five cents a share. They now earn 10 cents a share. Mm. So the growth of, of the, you know, they've, they've doubled their profit per share in three years. And that's why a business with 140 PE gets a 140 PE or why it could be justified if they can keep that growth up. Okay. And that is that is what you're looking at here is if they can if they can scale their business quickly enough and get enough funds quickly enough, then they will absolutely be worth the current price. If mm-hmm. I'm wrong, if they can't continue to grow that funds under management, if they lose some mandates, if they don't scale as much as they always well as they should, this is going to be really expensive. And so you're absolutely on a, you know, the, the, the higher the PE, the higher the, the, the tightrope that you're walking across, right? And so, and the smaller than head at the bottom. So, you know, if, if this business does falter, if they can't grow past a certain size, if they find that, you know, it wasn't as good as they thought, the scaling wasn't as good, there aren't as many people, the competition's too much, these, these shares will absolutely fall. And they have been really super volatile. So if I pull up a chart very quickly, we don't make it all about Australian Ethical today, but pull it up really quickly. I'll go back to 10 years just for fun. Um, the, you know, the shares went to $2, then back to two fifty, then back to $2. They went to four seventy, then back to three eighty. They went to seven dollars, then back to four dollars. Um, it, it's been a really bumpy ride for shareholders of Australian Ethical. If you've held it for any length of time, it's been a profitable one, but it's been super bumpy. Uh, and so, just just one of those things to, to keep in mind. It is um, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a rocky ride, you know, because of that PE that that is expected or that people are foreseeing. But because it's small, because it's growing quickly. It is a business that potentially, I think, will grow into its PE, but uh, very, very, be very aware. It could be bumpy, and they could just straight out fail. As with every recommendation I ever make, I, 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 I my job is to to try and find some conviction in some of the stocks. I'm never 100 percent sure of anything, and I think that is part of my um, skill set. Actually, is not being too uh, egotistical about an idea or being too definite or confident about it. I, I, I have enough confidence to recommend them, but not so much just to be arrogant and say I'm sure this is, this will work. And so we're always looking for when the thesis might break and hopefully making some changes at that point. But I think Australian Ethical, for my money, I'm, I literally own shares. It's been a recommendation of ours. It continues to be a buy recommendation. I think it's a long-term winner because I do expect that it'll have large multiples of the amount of funds under management in the fullness of time. 
Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, you reminded me a little bit there of the, the so-called Dunning-Kruger effect and the more expert <laughs> you become yes. in something, the more yes. you start to, to doubt, and, you know, and, and, the, and the, the, least, the less experience you have, the more you tend to overweight your, That's your confidence. True. That's and, true. And outcomes. So I think I'm always, I'm always, it always is a, is a positive for me when I hear an investor sort of talk about some of that doubt and mm. that, because I think that's just healthy and normal. And anyone who's like super hyper confident is, mm, it's a bit of a red flag because <laughs> unfortunately it's not that, that simple. True, um, true. A, a couple of points that you made there. Right. I totally agree on the scalab- scalability um, factor. It's such, I look for it in all businesses. I think it's such a wonderful thing. And it's a reason why as a general, there's always exceptions, but as a general rule, I don't like services businesses. Mm. Let's say let's say you're a hairdresser and you're a really great hairdresser. Um, well, you know, it's, you, you to, to make ten times more money, you have to you have to do ten times more haircuts. To make a hundred times more money, <laughs> you have to do a hundred times. more. You got, it's right. very hard to scale that. Yes, you can employ other people and you can do it, but it just tends to be that. And then whether this is IT services or engineering services, this is one of the this is one of the difficulties there because you don't have that natural operating leverage in the business that scalability. So you can win a heap of more work. But, you know, you, you need to sort of pay for more engineers, et cetera, et cetera, more hairdressers, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, to, to do that. So I love that feature of, of uh, fund managers, whether it is the operating leverage in there is, is just phenomenal. The other mm-hmm. flip side of that, of course, is, is that if they're really bad fund managers, they might be getting good fund flow. Well, in fact, that's yeah. going to impact the fund flow. But then, you know, if all your investments drop in half, that's going to hurt you as well. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and you also get out performance fees. So it's not just a funds under management thing, but when – this is, you know, when it works really well, you get more funds under management because the fact is you said more money is coming in, mm-hmm. the market is generally rising, but if your fund's actually doing better than the market, then you're getting these, you know, usually, what do they call it, two and 20, 2% of funds under management and 20% of anything above the that's benchmark. Right. You know, that's it's right. a lo- it's a lovely thing. So, yep, I think that's a really cool point. Um, I guess my question to, and this is this is just devil's advocate more than anything. But so I, I really hear the, the the point you're making. You really, as an investor, shouldn't be scared of higher PEs when there's there's good confidence of of things coming in. But at what point? For a for a business like this, do do mm. you think it does become more expensive? Again, it comes back to what we were talking about on on Friday with with this sort of asymmetry. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. yep, there's a lot of good reason to expect that they'll continue to make more money. Their earnings have doubled in the last three years. Maybe they do it again, but um, but it's kind of like, well, if it does, it's kind of like it's in the price, arguably. But if yeah, it right. doesn't, it's sort of like down. So you get to this situation where it's kind of like. Yes, I think this is going to happen. Okay, let's say it does happen. I get a market average mm-hmm. kind of return. That's not terrible, but that's mm-hmm. that's kind of it. Um, unless it's like a triple or quadrupling of earnings, they just completely blow even optimistic expectations out of the water. But if it doesn't, then you've got a lot of downside. Is that something that you think about? Is that a, a concern potentially with with these guys? Um, yes, absolutely, and that's that's what I was saying in terms of the share price. There is absolutely plenty of room for downside. That's that's eminently true. And the, the higher the share price is, the uh, the riskier that is. I think the challenge for and you would know this as well. The challenge for for companies that are growth businesses is even allowing for that. The question is longer term. So if if I said if if this is if it's terminally broken, <laughs> then this price is way too high. You know, it's going to have to go for a very long period of time at very good rates. Just well, well, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I would even say, even not terminally broken. Let's let's just say that they their their earnings are up forty uh, percent in three years' time. Still a great result, right? But it's yeah. kind of like that. That's you're still likely to do poorly as an investor because you've paid one hundred and fourteen times. You know that I guess. I just, I'd make, I'd add that into it. It's not just about this thing going broke. It's just about this. And it's not, in fact, even this thing not growing earnings. It's just not growing earnings enough, potentially. Yes. Yep, totally. Absolutely true. With, with the exception that uh, if, if the market's still going to pay 100 times earnings in three years, and it's grown by 40%, it, you know, it is, it is going to be the, I think your broader point is, it's going to be the PE change that has much more impact on your investment outcomes. The, the PE than, than compression, the e. as they call it. Right, so, yeah, right. so earnings go up 40%, but the PE goes back to 60. Well, 60 is still a really high PE, right? Correct. And correct, it's sort correct. of like, so I've kind of like, you know, so my earnings could double, but my PE, my the PE in three years' time could halve, and I'm kind of back to where I started from. So I've got the zero exactly. percent return, I guess. Yep, yep, exactly. And, that, and that, but but the, tr- the the reverse is also true, right? That's that's the challenge with with any medium term share price movements. They can be completely divorced from the underlying business because the PE changes and goes up and down. By the way, so you know, if the PE was seventy, now it's one hundred and forty. You feel like you're a genius. You've doubled your money. If it's if you've doubled money just because the market sentiments change in either direction, 
um, then neither is reflecting the, the, the value of the business itself or the business's underlying fundamentals. Mm. And so that's 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 absolutely true. Um, and yeah, look, I guess, you know, if I, I've seen enough growth businesses and we can use Afterpay, we can use Amazon that I mentioned on Friday, I own, so it's easy to mention it again, who've been expensive for a long time, but have grown through that and still look expensive even on, you know, prices that are 100 times the, you know, the, the, the share price they were X number of years ago, right? And I think that for me is the... Is the hardest one when you're looking at any of these businesses. It's absolutely true that if the thesis breaks, then you're in trouble. If the thesis doesn't break and the growth is meaningful and ongoing, then it still could be multiples of the current price. And that's why these are such difficult wrecks to think about. And for an, uh, as, a, as, a, as an advisor, and when you own the shares, such difficult decisions to make in terms of where does it go next, um, and what do we think about the business? If mm. you know, because you don't need to grow. You know, if you grow twenty percent a year from meaningful amounts of time. You will compound at phenomenal rates, right? Twenty percent seems like well, depends on, depends on what sort of investor you are. If you're used to Woolworths type growth or Westpac type growth, twenty percent feels like it's huge, and it is. If you want fifty percent growth and it looks like it's small and not very impressive, and it's not. But if you can grow at twenty percent a year, you can compound effectively double your money every three years or so. Mm. And again, remember, doubling is not just one, two, three, four. It's one, two, four, eight, sixteen. Mm. And so those things, you know, that that can that can meaningfully move the dial. So that that's absolutely the story with Australian ethical. Um, if it, if it can grow, it, then it's worth something. If it can't grow, then it's you know it's the reverse as well. It's, it's a it's a high wire act, uh, but I think I think it's likely to continue to attract you know very very large amounts of money, and I think it's likely to do very well for investors. But meaningful downside if I'm wrong. Okay, cool, cool. No, hey, well answered. Thank you, mate. You, you just say that because you know I'm going to ask you a question about something you like later, and you want me to do nothing. <laughs> Let's go Let's- to a question from <laughs> God. I was going to say, let's not run out of time on this one. Oh, if I can, I will. I'll drag this out for as long as I possibly can. You run the clock down. That's your strategy. I get it now. Exactly. All right. So uh, we we are going to spend a little bit of time on on your question, mate. So we will actually devote an unusually large chunk to this because I know plenty of listeners want to know about it. Uh, But before we do that one from Adam. uh, Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm interested in investing investing in an Australian, New Zealand, small to mid-cap managed funder ETF. I have a $25,000 posit I can start with and then plan to make regular fortnightly or monthly contributions. Can you suggest any good quality small or mid-cap managed funds or ETFs? Vanguard has a good passive ETF in this space, as do many other ETF providers, but I'm thinking this sector may lend itself better to an active approach. I would prefer the fund or ETF to also have an ethical filter. Australian Ethical has a small, speaking of Australian Ethical, Australian Ethical has a small cap emerging companies fund, but the fees seem over the top to me at 1.2% with 20% performance fees additional. I'm fairly covered with large caps to other broad-based index funds, hence my desire for a more small to mid-cap pure play. Hmm. What are your thoughts or suggestions? Thanks, and that's from Adam. What do you say, mate? Uh, yeah, I think it's a really – well, you know, I'm biased. I think there's a really great space there. I'm actually not <laughs> too aware of uh, certainly listed sort of funds that fit the bill. Only, But that's mm-hmm. that's not because they're not there. It's just because I, I'm a direct investor. I just don't look at them because I, I <laughs> hubris or whatever reason, I, I feel I want to do it myself. <laughs> um and there are some friends I've got, like, you know, we, um, the, the guys at Lake House, which is a Motley Fool fund, they've sort of had a little bit of a bias towards some of that areas and that's maybe more medium cap kind of stocks, but I think they've, well, they've demonstrably done a phenomenal job. Former colleague of ours, Matt at Maven Funds, I think he does a really great job of that. There's a few sort of boutique sort of funds that are out there. Um, so mm. I don't want to sort of spend the, the show promoting, <laughs> promoting mates. Other people. Yeah. Um, but 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 yeah, I, I, there's there's a couple off the top of my head. But any that you know of? No, mate. Look, I I, I have look. So yeah, I, we've talked like Helicast before. At the full, we kind of just kind of you know politely avoid talking about it, and, and they do the same with us, uh, just for for largely Chinese wall reasons. So um, I tend to leave that one alone. It's I find I find. I find managed funds difficult because it's really hard to know what the long-term future is going to be for some of these things. And whenever you talk about, you know, it's better to be active in the space, I think that's, tr- well, again, this is a problem. It can be true and it can be not. Like the, by definition, the average is the average is the average and most funds lose to the average. And so is it better to be active? Well, it's better to be active and right. It's worse to be active and wrong, and mm. that's kind of the that's kind of the challenge. I, I read a, a Twitter thread actually for for those who are interested. Jump on the jump on the Twitter machines and have a look. Um, someone said to me, "Hey, look, if we know the average is the average, why do you guys try and pick stocks?" And it was it was a really really good question because great question. You know, yeah. on, on average, no one should try and pick stocks, but individually, <laughs> you know, Warren Buffett exists, and Peter Lynch exists, and Phil Fisher exists, and the Motley Fool's co-founders Tom and David Gardner have multi-decade market beating track records, and so. 
you know, on should the average investor pick stocks? No, except by definition, some should and do and can. And and it's that duality you mentioned. I think it was on Friday, keeping both ideas in your head at the same time. That's the challenge when it comes to stock picking. Is mm. on average, the stock market returns for investors would be better if there was no managed funds, because managed funds get the average, and then you take out fees. So if you just simply avoided fees, you'd do better. That that that's uncontro- incontrovertibly true. It just is. Except that the Buffets of the world exist, and so you kind of have to be able to hold both of those thoughts at the same time. I. My, my biggest challenge with, with any of these things, and even, you know, for us, like we, you know, you're trying to pick stocks for yourself, Andrew, and, and, and the straw man, your, your members do the same. They try and come up with winning stock ideas. Um, you know, I try and do the same for our members. We both try and do it for our own portfolios. Um, but if I'm getting above average, someone else by definition is getting below average. And, you know, how do you know in advance which one of us is going to work? Which one is going to be right? So it's a really, really hard one. I'm, I'm not sure... <laughs> It's hard, isn't it? I'm not so sure that by definition it's better to be active. Again, as I said at the top, because despite the question, and it's a good question, but despite that question, um, it's not better to be on average. It's better to be active. It's just not. But if you can do it well, it's better to be active. And this is this is the this is the challenge. So well, look, I yeah. would. I was just just quickly. I I don't I don't have any fund recommendations to make. Uh, I would happily say grab a small company's ETF. I happen to have a small number of units in the Vanguard. I think it's small lords. I think it's the all lords less the top 200 or something. Um, largely, in, uh, I don't tell my son I've done this. Um, largely, we've put some money aside for him and some of it's invested in that um, as, a, as a super passive long-term investment vehicle. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's a really, really good ETF in the small company space that I'd happily say to anyone to invest in because small lords tends to do better than the all lords over time. And you avoid having to try and pick the right fund manager and have them try and pick the right stocks. So in terms of reducing your risk, a bit like the trade ethical conversation, if you're reducing your risk of loss, then you're doing it that way and that works. Uh, yep. But ca- can you be active and win? Yes, by definition, Andrew's done that. I've done that. Other people have done that. And so it's absolutely possible. Um, it's just, it's a, real, it's a really, really difficult question to answer w- with a blanket statement because I don't know which fund's going to win next year or which fund managers leave, as in the portfolio managers, leave that fund to go somewhere else. So yeah. I find it really difficult to give advice, say, hey, put your money into, you know, um, uh, you know Phil- Phillips, Phillips Fund Management for the next seven years because uh, Phillips might not be there or they might start sucking or both. Um, so I, I really, really struggle to, make, to give those kind of, and, and not just small caps in general, large caps as well, I struggle to give those sort of opinions for exactly that reason. What do you reckon? Yep. Yeah, I think that's all true. I, I think what it really, what you need to do is you need to understand who who is the fund manager. Do what is that? Have they articulated their strategy well? Is that a strategy that aligns with your thinking? Um, yeah. And do they have the track record? So, look, if you and I are going to have a game of doubles tennis, and it's you and your mum versus me and Nadal. We're gonna, we're gonna win, right? I'm sorry yeah, yeah, to your mum yeah, and to you, yeah, and I'm I'm yeah, certainly yeah. not going to be pulling my weight, but I'm totally we're totally going to win that match. And so, when you're looking at a fund manager who has a very good uh, long term track record, that counts. And we, we talk about Buffett all the time. It's like you know, if, there you you it is all about the person. So while everything yep. you say is yep. true. You yep. don't make your decision because they've got a nice shiny bro- and, and obviously the, the the listener's not saying this, but you don't you don't mm, make the, mm. the investment because they've got a shiny brochure or they make they they sort of make some right sounds or whatever. But when you've got someone with very long term capable track record that's fo- following mm. a very well thought out, sensible, evidence based kind of strategy, and yep. particularly, and this is uncommon, um, disappointingly so, but there's a few <laughs> funds out there where the 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 requirement of the job is is that you can't invest outside of the fund. So if you're a fund yeah, manager, worker, yeah. and analyst there, they say, great, come and work for us. All your money has to be in this fund. I think that's a really nice signal as well. So just you just have to you, you just have to do your your due, your due diligence. And and I, 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 I think it's a I think it's a great way to do so. So track re- past is no guarantee, past performance is no guarantee of future performance, as they always say, and is absolutely true. But yeah. I would be much happier to put my money with someone who over the last 15, 20 years is just absolutely smashed. It takes a very sensible yeah. approach, communicates regularly, very honest very aligned that that is that is something i think to pay attention to i completely agree and again the person right rather than the company because yes. so many times the, the actual portfolio manager leaves and goes somewhere else also King by Man the way matt we're saying i think is it is it was it bill miller who was a buffett acolyte who went heavy in the banks during the gfc and blew his fund up 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that rings a bell. So, actually. so, yeah. I, so I would say the other thing is too. I wouldn't even if you're going to go with a managed fund. Um, don't put all your money in that fund if for that strategy because it, you know Bill Miller had spectacular results for decades and yeah. got one call spectacularly wrong and blew up the fund. And again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I also want to track record is really important. But as as you rightly say, Ram. Past performance is no guarantee. It can be an indicator, absolutely. <laughs> but, mm. but you know, it wouldn't be the first time someone's taken a big call on something with high conviction and just completely got it wrong. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. And, and so just, just kind of keep that in mind. If you're going to do it, um, particularly active where they're making concentrated bets, just maybe think about a couple of options and maybe spread it around a little bit. Um, so I'd, I'd, be pers- I'd be personally happy with either of those two options, mate. You? Yeah, yeah. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Here we go. This is from Patrick because Patrick hates me. Hi, Scott and Andrew, says Patrick. Loving the analysis and insights on the podcast. So far, so good. Thank you, Patrick. And then Patrick spoils it by saying, I have a question specifically for Andrew. As he invests in Bitcoin and Ethereum. For the record, I also invest in these plus a number of other large market cap cryptocurrencies. Could Andrew please briefly discuss, his word, not mine, Andrew, but take it to heart. Could Andrew mm-hmm. please briefly discuss his investing thesis for these coins and crypto in general. As I imagine, this thesis is totally different to the one he uses to invest in companies. Or I might be wrong, he says in brackets. Thanks to both you and I appreciate your general discussions on crypto in the past. Cheers from Patrick. So Patrick wants you to be brief is what I took from that, Andrew. Um, <laughs> it's so hard that, to do it that, briefly. That was, the, that, was the, the that was the main point. So I'm, yeah. look, we're going to spend a bit of time on this one. This will probably be our last question. We'll do about 20 minutes worth, mate. Um, if we get we might get that far, but if we do, we'll, we'll try and mm-hmm. keep it long, long enough to be interesting but short enough to be uh, to be manageable. Uh, mm-hmm. But but I want to go into a little bit of detail. So I'm not sure whether you just want to start off or you want me to kind of ask you some key questions. I guess if I was going to start, though, um, you, you maybe me start with by way of explaining it. You were anti crypto for a long time. In fact, in your first yeah. iteration as, as podcast co-host, um, you you laughed at me for put, putting my hundred dollars worth of uh, of cash in a Bitcoin back whenever it was. Yeah. Um, that again, the joke goes that I still can't sell because I can't access the. Uh, there's no sell button on that app. Um, you you're using the your wrong mind. app, dude. Oh, I <laughs> yes. know. Yeah, yeah. You've changed your mind meaningfully since then. You are. You've yeah. gone from. Skeptic. I don't know if you're ever necessarily directly anti, but you're certainly a, a meaningful skeptic to being closest enough to a true believer. And you've got some pretty good research. Maybe maybe let's start with that. What, what is it about? Uh, do you want to talk cryptos generally or Bitcoin specifically? I know you own both, and I assume both are similar. But how do you start, how do you want to start having the conversation? It's such it's such a difficult one, and it's almost something that you're embarrassed to talk about as a professional investor because there's, <laughs> there's so much baggage that comes with it. And let's be honest right. too, there's so much craziness that's out there. I think mm. as someone who holds these, and I've probably got about five percent of my my investable cash in in this kind of stuff. So right. it's a reasonable bet, but it's not certainly not all in kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it is, there's so much silliness out there that that you know it, you do feel dirty, you do feel silly um, talking. <laughs> about it. Right. So my my I think I would go back a step and sort of say before we start talking about coins or whatever it's more the underlying mm. technology here. So this is this is blockchain technology. Now this is this is like a 10 hour podcast on its own just talking about that, but I'll just sort mm. of say what it is is it's a genuinely new and revolutionary technology that allows us to do things that we couldn't do before, right? Now right. whether whether that how that manifests itself and how that evolves going forward, I think it's really really difficult to kind of say. But at the same time, I still think it's it's a reasonable person can say it's going to be something. You know, it's not nothing. Mm-hmm. So right. I think a great analogy here is if anyone remembers the, the late 90s, the early 2000s of investing mm-hmm. in tech stocks, yeah. um, the internet, wow, this is going to be huge. And yet mm. some 90%, maybe 98% of, of companies in that space either went bust or just proved to be terrible investments. And yet largely what people were assuming of the internet has come true. The same thing happened with Steve Jobs and the smartphone and what that became, you know, it, 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 it was phenomenal. And yet, you know, there's not a lot of sort of successful companies or, you know, most people who make apps don't do well, but it is a genuine thing. So, so my first point would be... Mm. This technology allows us to do really radical things that we couldn't do before. I I would summarise it by saying what you have is uh, an immutable, decentralised system that that is what 
is best described as trustless. In everything that we do in life, we have mm-hmm. trust that there is a counterparty out there that will look after us. I buy a, Let's say I go buy a house, right? Well, I mean, we swap a bit of paper and it's just like, yeah, it's this thing, I own it now. And, and we, we all agree that that's true because there's a record somewhere that sort of says that. But I'm still right. trusting on that... That uh, that party out there to keep the records accurate and the rest of it. And I can try. That's a perfectly sensible thing to do because that's this, this social contract that we have. But this this removes that in the sense that I don't. I can I can interact with anyone on the internet and know with one hundred percent certainty that I can trust their obligations to be fulfilled. Now, there's different use cases for this. Uh, Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. You've got to remember is an extremely narrow application of this technology, mm-hmm. um, and and there's it's really just it, it's like HTTP or something like that. It's sort of in and of itself, it's pretty simple. But what you mm-hmm. can layer and build upon that has actually formed the whole basis of of the internet. And so I'm I'm if you're like me and you feel as though the internet is here to stay I feel as though we're at the first innings you know or we're at the we're, 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 we're they're still singing the national anthem here so the, the internet is is very young very 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 young and how this is going to grow and evolve I, I I don't see it going away in fact I see it being very big and I feel mm-hmm. as though what what I don't know if people have heard the term web 3.0 but what's happening is is that you're now we're getting these technologies that allow us to do things on the internet that were never before possible. How is that going to evolve? I don't know. No one saw when, when the internet first came along. What did we do with it? We basically just put newspapers on there. They were magazines. <laughs> Websites were magazines. They were read only. This is Web 1.0, and so you went on there, and then people thought actually a web page can be a computer. Yeah. I can actually write code and store code on this kind of thing. And then, and then, and then, so then we've got things where there's, it's so much more than just a read only thing. I've now got zero. I, I've now, you know, I've now got all these SaaS applications uh, on, on top of that kind of mm, stuff. And mm, now I've got mm. social media where I'm, you know, I can, I can contribute to this and connect. And now we're doing with what, what blockchain is allowing us to do and will and it's happening right now. Um, and all of the, it seems to me as though all the smartest developers in the world are just being sucked into this space. It's mm. the new platform on which the internet is going to be built. And the reason it's going to go that way is it just solves so many problems. So it's going to happen. How is it going to evolve? I've got no idea. Um, I would argue very forcefully that 99% of all the crypto assets you see today are going to zero. I think they're horrendously mm. terrible bets. But this isn't just a technology, well, an internet technology kind of thing. Look at when the steam engine was invented. There were literally thousands of steam engine companies and most of them (laughs) did very badly. Look at electricity. Back in the day when that first became a thing, there was this big battle between DC and AC. There were hundreds (laughs) of startups in this space, you know, people providing all of this sort of technology and only sort of one kind of wins out uh, at at the end of it. So it's it's, it's hyper early stage. It's hyper speculative. And I think that's the first thing you've you've got to acknowledge. So I'm not buying this because, oh, it's going up and I feel as though it could be worth it. Uh, you know, a little bit more next month, next year. In fact, it, it could 10x from t- tomorrow, and I, I don't think it changes anything for me. I'm, I'm, I'm literally making a multi-decade, ultra-long-term investment on this, and it's it's predicated essentially on the fact that uh, that this is this is going to be the platform on which the the internet continues to evolve. And that's okay, a very so short answer, and there's a lot of things to dig into there. But yes, well, go so ahead. The, here's, here's the question I want to ask. So I. I hear all that. I actually agree entirely up to this point. My question comes from this point forward, which is you just described blockchain and the value of the blockchain technology as, a, as an amorphous concept mm. like the internet. I completely agree. Now, I'm not even sure it's going to be, so I don't, I don't, I don't have that degree of confidence. It's going to I, be. <laughs> well, we can't know that. that this, is like, this is my other issue with Bitcoin acolytes, by the way. They leave no room for doubt, which always, whenever anyone leaves no room for doubt. I just, I just said before how bad that them. was. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. No, anyway. Yeah. Um, so so, look, so let's, let's say I agree with you that it's likely to be. I'm not going to say will be. You could say that, but yeah. In okay. any case, we're, we're on the same side of that particular line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because of all the reasons that it makes sense. I completely get it. Uh, the, the ASX is looking at a blockchain for to replace chess, the, the kind of settlement system. Like it, it makes perfect sense. Superior system. Yeah, obviously. Yep. Right. Well, potentially. Uh, depending, on, depending on the cost and all that kind of stuff and the environmental impacts, which we won't go into because that's a whole... Oh, I can, we can touch on that if you like, but yes. Yeah, uh, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, not, go, let's not. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe in the, uh, the after version. Um, so you described all that. That's fine. I think it's a really, 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 really big jump to, and therefore, people will use a particular 
uh, use case for a currency which either is used as a store of value and or a transaction token um, because blockchain exists. Mm. And that's the bit I think that the tech excitement I hear in your voice is absolutely true in all the same ways we should be excited about the internet. And if I could invest in, if I get, if I get a fractional share of, of blockchain technology's value creation, I would take it in a heartbeat. Mm. But if I've got you to can. say, well, no, I can't because 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 blockchain on on chess, for example, I'm going to get part of right. That's going to be a, a they're going to take the technology which is effectively open source as a, as an idea, make it their own and do something cool with that, and it'll be awesome. But I can't get a share of that, right? I could buy some Bitcoin, but well, I have you, to believe that the Bitcoin yeah. example is 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 actually value creating, and that's where that's I an think, excellent question, yeah. Well, it's it's where it's where from in my mind the the and look, I'm not I'm not anti this stuff by the way at all. I don't think it's investable as an asset for because I think it's too speculative. But that's a slightly different perspective. I'm just talking about purely as an idea. I'm, mm. not, I'm not anti. I, w- I would be shorting it in that in the sense that I'm not sure it's going to zero. But I, it's one thing to say, hey, this is a really cool tech. Yeah, it absolutely is. So therefore, we should we should have one example of its use. Call it Bitcoin or call it anything. Colombian coin. Calathopian coin, and, uh, and and therefore buy it, and therefore expect that it's going to go up because this one particular use case is going to be, or, or is likely to be, depending, you know, from an investing perspective, that probability question of I'm buying it because I think it's going to mm. go up and, and remain higher at some future point because of the technology. I, I, I think I don't yes. understand that the, the, the one-to-one relationship between the technology and this particular, or the two, you've got a theorem as well, these particular use cases as opposed to the general idea of we'll all be doing a whole lot more stuff on blockchain in 10 years' time. Yeah, and I, I often criticise people for the same kind of thinking. They'll say, oh, electric cars are going to be a thing, so I'm going to buy a lithium. You know? right, you're right. That's, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad example, yeah. It's, you or, know, or, maybe more to the point, electric cars are going to be a thing, therefore Tesla must win the race. Yes, yeah, I mean okay. that, that's almost yeah. that's almost, they're both good they're both good ones by the way. But I'm just thinking about you know is Tesla going to do well? Probably, maybe I don't know. But that yeah, you know, if they don't do well, electric cars aren't dead. There's yeah. you know the electric car is Tesla is an electric car, but not electric cars are Teslas. Yes, and I would say the same thing. Blockchain is you know Bitcoin lives on blockchain, but not everything on blockchain is Bitcoin. Yep. So my answer, my answer that's a bit, and this actually gets to your original point, is I used to be quite negative on it. I think back in 2017, it was really early and we didn't know who was Mm. going to win. But what you've got to understand, I think for me, the epiphany was, is that there are very powerful network effects at play. So the more nodes you have in the network, the more people that are processing all of these things, the more powerful it it sort of becomes. And we're at a point Mm. now where it's kind of like Bitcoin... And by the way, from a technical perspective, there are better coins that are out there. But but the zeitgeist, the 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 sentiment around it's kind of won that race. It becomes the bigger the network it becomes, the more mm. nodes you mm. have on the network, the stronger it becomes. So now it becomes very, very hard to displace. Um, so I think you kind of I think you get I think now in 2021, Bitcoin is a much much more likely winner. So it's like investing in internet stocks in 2000 versus internet stocks in 2010. You know, yeah, right. it, it becomes Google is not a speculative yeah. investment, right? Yeah. And yet yeah. it's underpinned by by a lot of the same things that underpinned all, all of the investment in that. So we, we've kind of run a bit forward yeah. where I feel as point. though yeah. there's there, there, it's a lot, a lot stronger. Um, mm. For me, Ethereum is, is far more interesting in the sense that it actually – is is uh, and that's why I said to you before. Actually, there is a way to sort of mm. get involved in this in a way which is much more general. Because it, again, because of its network size and that network effect, it's really becoming the platform of choice on which to to build a lot of these things. So, just another quick step back. What Ethereum is, what all blockchains are effectively, and this is what mm. this is a, this is the other great epiphany, is that they are universal Turing machines. So, in other words, it's a computer that lives on top of the internet, kind of lives above mm. the internet. But anything I can do in on on a on a computer, I can do on the Ethereum blockchain. <clears throat> so, there's a language associated called Solidity. I can write. I can write. I, I can. I can do tip Twitter on the blockchain. Mm. I can do the CBA bank app on on the blockchain. And it's got to the point now that any developer thinking of building something in web 3.0, it's you know, the way the race hasn't been won yet and it's certainly mm. not without risks and if but but we're at a point now where it's kind of looks as though it's won that race where that becomes the platform of choice on which to do it because mm. you know that there are so many more more nodes out there doing these um, proof of stake 
work which sort of underpins it all and that's another rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> but I, I feel as though what's so attractive about Ethereum mm, is that mm. I don't need to know and I don't think anyone can seriously guess which way Web 3.0 is going. When we first yeah. imagined the internet, what we thought it was capable of yeah. turns out <laughs> to be, it was like, oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Actually, yeah, we can do so this. True. We can do that. So and, and 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 the use cases have just exploded. And I think Web 3.0 will go in that direction. And in 10 years' time, it'll seem really obvious, like, oh, of course, someone was going to do yeah. that. But yeah. no, whatever it is, the next big thing, I, I don't think any any of us have really got on our radar, but I think yeah. we're at a point now where it's, it's becoming a, 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 as time goes on and the network grows and it becomes more valuable, that it, it, it becomes a safer and safer bet that it'll be done on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and that allows me to participate in all kinds of applications. It's like, it's like um, uh, being able to own a part of, the, of HTTP. Mm. Or S- SMTP, or you know, all, all of these, yeah. all these open source fr- uh, protocols. So Google, Larry and Sergey built G- Google on open source protocols. Uh, Jeff Bezos built Amazon on the internet. Now, anyone could have done it, but he did it and he won. Now, mm. who was to know that that was going to be the retailer that, that ultimately won, but it was all enabled mm. by this. So you can actually buy a part of the underlying platform here and whatever springs from that, I would say that there's a, there's, this is a great way to sort of own that un, a part of that underlying platform. The way it works is, is that to, to process any of these dApps, these de- decentralized applications, forget about all the terms, it's just a computer program, all these programs that are running on it. If you think Web 3.0 is going to be a thing, I'm almost con- certainly convinced that it's going to be. If this is going to be the platform that's going to be the, the dominant one, like this is the standard that we, we tend to uh, centre around, if there's going to be more applications running on that, if more people are going to be using those applications more and more, it is by definition more valuable. How valuable? Well, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> that's right. um, but we're, so, we're, at the, we're at the very first stage of this kind of stuff. And, and I feel as though – and so my investment thesis, very long run-up to this, is that – and I've mentioned it a few times in recent podcasts in terms of this concept of asymmetry. So it's kind of one of these things that absolutely could it go to zero? Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it would suck, but, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't bet the farm on this kind of stuff. But, yeah. but, but that could happen. That could absolutely happen. But if it doesn't, and this actually does become the standard that people centre around – the upside is phenomenally large. I don't know where it is, but it, it is it is orders of magnitude above where it is, which is why I said to you before, even if we, you know, uh, it happened, I don't even never look at the price of it. If it, ha- I just I've just got a commitment that every couple few times a year I just tip some more money and I just dollar ca- cost average into it as long as the 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 philosophy the, the the thesis remains broadly true, because it it it, it just seems as though. If A, then B, in the sense of if mm. Web 3.0, if the internet, then very likely this thing is going to have significantly more value. You could interview, to walk down the street, interview a 1,000 people, <laughs> 950 of them would probably never have heard of it and certainly will dismiss it. All of these technologies look like a toy. Um, I'm quoting Chris Dixon here <laughs> as a partner at A16Z and he's got some great, great material and blogs and stuff out there if you yeah. want to dive into more of yeah. this kind of stuff. But he's right. They all look reckless. They all look silly. It's the kind of thing that really smart people do on the weekends as a hobby. Ten years later, everyone <laughs> is kind of doing. And it's not It's not because it's cool. It's because there's genuine value. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's very hard to do in a succinct manner. But but the, 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 the power of this... Is, is potential so so it gets hijacked by the hodl crew and the and the and the meme coins and and you know people speculate oh look I'm up four thousand percent and all that. that you're missing the point here it, it's it's something that is far 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 bigger than that and I feel as though. If it goes to zero, that would suck, but I'm still mm-hmm. relatively okay because 95% of my money is elsewhere. But if not, there is just such such significant upside that I I, I would feel as though it's I didn't I didn't invest enough in the technology companies with Web One and Web Two, mm-hmm. and I don't want to make that mistake again. <laughs> so <laughs> and that but that, that's so I did so all. I, why those two? For the reasons I uh, I think they've got the network effects. I think they've I think they've gotten the strength. I think they're the ones that are likely to do it. I think most of them will go to zero, and I think that these ones are the ones that will just will will just be so fundamentally important to. Let's let's talk about what Zuck is doing. Zuck is not an idiot, right? And he's well. 
he's, he's an unusual person like a lot of tech <laughs> entrepreneurs are. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of things I hate about Facebook and I'm certainly not a Mark Zuckerberg uh, fan in right, a lot of ways. Right. But he's pushing Facebook, one of the world's biggest technology companies. He's rebranded as Meta and it's all about the metaverse, which is another deep dive rabbit hole that we could get into. Um, but they're all going in this direction because it, it it is it is the natural evolution of all of this technology. Right. So think think about things today that's happening in Web 2.0. Like in in what what new concepts people are coming up with? It's like nothing's new about it. It's just someone people hadn't <laughs> done this stuff before. But you could have seen you could have seen five and ten years ago that wow, there is going to be a lot of infrastructure and activity and value created out of all of this. Which way is it going to go? Who's going to be the winner? I don't know, but it's going to be a big thing. And these particular uh, uh, assets, tokens, I think form, uh, I think they're a much higher probability bet on that. And that's my thesis. I I love that. I love that. I love that approach. Here's what we might do. If listeners, if you're listening, well, you are listening. While you're listening now, if you've got more questions about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, if, if there's enough interest, we might even do a half, maybe a full episode, mate, just on the some of the Q and A's that some of our listeners have got. If they're going from enough interest, we won't we'll ever talk about it again. But mate, you've been very generous with sharing some of that thought, and I and I really like it. I don't necessarily agree with all of it. Um, at least the the uh, you know I think it's the wouldn't the you have wouldn't question. you have like it's the probability just two, question wouldn't yeah so that, I get that but wouldn't you at least I I think when you're at a stage now where, back in 2017 <laughs> it was your Uber driver spruiking it right now you've <laughs> yeah, got some of the right. biggest now you've got some of the biggest financial institutions and endowment funds and investment banks mm. for goodness sakes Commonwealth Bank is now getting in on it you know and with DeFi is a whole other area as well but that's all going to be built off these things it, it, it's sort of at a point where why does it have value? Because collectively we all think it has value. Why does gold have value? You explain to me sensibly, if let's say gold wasn't a thing, right? And then all of a sudden you said, I'm actually going to buy this particular metal. Why? Because it's valuable. Why is it valuable? Oh, I just think that everyone will think it. it's stupid. Well, it's kind of like, well, if, if you think, but it's not because enough of us agree that it's not. And it's the same with fiat currency. It, it's, it, it's, it's just a story. It's a narrative that we all tell ourselves. And we're now at a point now where this, this has gone beyond this like really fringe kind of thing where it's actually entering the mainstream. And mm. just by virtue of that, it has value. It has value because we all think it has value. And, and uh, yeah, and, and again, I'm, I, do, I, would, I would just... Going- <laughs> I just want one, one final point. I just really got to distinguish. They're 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 they are very different. They're all underlying technology, but Bitcoin is immensely different investment case to Ethereum. Ethereum, you want to think about as as a computer, um, as a platform. Bitcoin, you want to think of, I think, as as a store of value, and and the one that looks as though it's it's one on that front. And if you want to, one one really nice way I've always thought about thinking about it is look at the total market cap of gold. And you could probably take that and divide that by 21 million, which is the number of Bitcoins that will ever be invented. And it's a really nice way of thinking about it. And it's like there's other ways you can do it. But if even if that's sort of half true, there's a lot of potential upside in all of that. And I know that it's going to be something that is hyper volatile. So it could, it could be down like 80% tomorrow. I would not be surprised at all. But that's why it's for me, it's a very ultra long-term investment, 10 years minimum, probably 20. Um, I think I think as as you see broader adoption in Bitcoin and more of its more people just seeing it uh, as having value, that that value is inevitably going to rise. And if you think as though Web point three is going to be a thing, and you feel as though the standard is probably going to be ETH, then that's that's invariably going to rise too, and, and probably by a lot. And as I say, it's that lovely asymmetry. So I'd put it to you, sir, that while I get that we can have different views on probabilities and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's perfectly reasonable for a perfectly sensible, even conservative investor to consider a one or two percent weighting on that. Because if you're wrong, it's not it's not the end of the world or not even close to it. But if potentially even half of this kind of stuff is true, the upside is meaningful. And that's always an attractive bet. You know, tails, I've said it a million times, tails, I don't lose too much, heads, I win significantly. They're the kind of bets that I want to make. And, and that in a nutshell is why I think I've got money in this area. That's a pretty uh, passionate defence. Look forward to bringing you the next one next week. Until next time for us. Until next Friday, full on. Cheers. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.